Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, last week, you heard a replay of our program about understanding the Lord's Prayer. We are starting a series about prayer this week, and we are going to be discussing Fervent by Priscilla Shearer, and later on we will get to Intercessory Prayer by Dutch Sheets. So we wanted you to kind of have that background information about what prayer is going into this series. Now, if you haven't heard of Priscilla Shearer, she's a very popular evangelical Christian women's teacher. Um, She's the daughter of Tony Evans. And this book, Fervent by Priscilla Shearer, has 7,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. If I could just summarize this book, I would say it is the typical evangelical warfare worldview of prayer. So if you have read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis or This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti, it's that view of prayer that she holds and is discussing in this book. Now, I'm going to give you a little quote from the book, and then we're going to just kind of discuss some of these issues, both the warfare worldview, the view of prayer as part of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, and then also an allegorical use of scripture. So here is the quote. This is on page four of Fervent, and this is what it says. If all we're doing is flinging words and emotions in all directions without any real consideration for the specific ways the enemy is targeting us and the promises of God that apply to us, we're mostly just wasting our time. Now, how would you respond to that? I did read the book. Uh, We traded books back and forth. So she read one, I read the other, we traded, you know, we got our books back. My thought on them, besides the fact that the scriptures are cited because they sort of apply to someone's concern. Okay. Grounded in the context. And as we were discussing before we started recording here, in the Bible, in the bigger scheme of some of these verses that are cited, the promise comes first, and it's a broad promise, not find your problem and find a Bible verse that might apply. Okay. Well, let me give you an example. Under the old covenant, after the years in Egyptian bondage, when Yahweh appeared on the scene of history, uh, the very creator, and called Moses, the promise was that he would bring them out, bring them to himself, and so on. There's the big promise. Okay. So there's a lot of problems, but the problems arose because God had said, I'm bringing them out. And so you have the Passover, the blood, the splitting of the Red Sea, all of these things that happened. And in the end, the real problem is the unbelief of the people who received the promise. Yes. And so the issue isn't, well, now I think Satan's doing this, or I think this is going on, or I think that's going on. No, that's getting it wrong. You don't start with a problem, then try to find a promise. Okay. What is the 
broad, comprehensive promise. And that has to be the starting point. And that promise is grounded in what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. We're under the new covenant. Okay. And this is not done properly because you have various suppositions based on things that aren't revealed in scripture. Exactly. Okay. And so in order to get the suppositions, and we both noticed that having read the book, if I were Satan, I would. Did you yes. know? Okay. So for example, for strategy one, your passion, she says, if I were your enemy, I'd seek to dim your passion, dull your interest in spiritual things and dampen your belief in God's ability and his concern for you. And, and she goes on from there. Well, it's, it's one thing for her to assume what she would do if, if she were our enemy, but she isn't our enemy. And can we know the mind of Satan? Well, what we need to know is what God has said. And furthermore, Jesus went through the temptations in the wilderness and succeeded where Israel failed. And if we think that we can't be safe because we're in Christ, unless we know some uh, material from our own imagination about what Satan would do, we're going to end up with no better outcome than the Israelites did in the Old Testament. Yes, and that's pretty much what she was saying in that first quote. Without any real consideration for the specific ways the enemy is targeting us and the promises of God that apply to us, we're just wasting our time. Okay, let me counter that. Okay. Let's just think of, I got an email today from a, someone who evidently read some of our material and asked about that. Doesn't yes. it say that if we don't do certain things, then we'll be cursed? And that would be in the Deuteronomy 28 or whatever. Yes. But under the old covenant, you notice they got under two mountains, the blessings, the curses. In the end, Moses said, now when these curses come upon you, then you right. need to remember this. It didn't say if you do it right, figure it out right and do the right thing, you're going to earn blessing. Okay. okay. So Satan's strategy is to attack the idea that those who turn to Jesus Christ by faith and trust in him alone, Jesus, God, the son, the very creator, according to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, John 1, 1 through 18, and other places, if you are in Christ by faith, the, the Christ of the Bible, not the Christ of various groups, even within evangelicalism, so-called, there are people who have faulty views of the Trinity. Yes. How is it that we're blessed? Are we blessed by faith? Are we safe from Satan's attacks to get us to believe the lie? You should be like God or trust in God. How do we know that? We'll never know that if we simply go by symptoms, allegory, feelings, frustrations, trying to figure out what Satan would do if I were Satan. That doesn't make any sense. No. And the Bible tells us what his intent is, which is to get us to trust in anything but Jesus Christ himself. And books like this, 
that's really the outcome. It gets us to trust in our ability to figure out what Satan is doing and know how to pray against it so that we can manipulate the outcome. She says here on this next page, prayer is the portal that brings the power of heaven down to earth. It is the kryptonite to the enemy and all of his ploys against you. Okay, that is another issue that is really misused throughout evangelicalism, if you want to use the term. That is not the point. We're praying to God who's already given us promises. He knows us. He loves us. He keeps us. And this is not what the Bible teaches. Right. I have an example that I printed out here about Paul himself, who's cited various times in these uh, books, including hers. Paul himself, who saw the resurrected Christ, who wrote a chunk of scripture, and he was attacked. And what did he do? Did he figure out how to rebuke Satan? No, he didn't. Let me read 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Okay. Okay. If we can get the worldview part correct, then we'll see what's wrong with this book. Okay. All right. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Paul said this, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, you can debate this, but was given is probably a divine passive. Okay. God. Mm -hmm. But however you take that, this is a messenger of Satan to torment me. Okay. Yes. Now, to keep me from exalting myself. So that would be saying God allowed this thorn in the flesh so that pride would not be the outcome for Saul of Tarsus, now Paul, who's been converted. Right. Okay. Now, verse 12a, that doesn't mean we can't pray. Okay. Paul is not, he's an apostle. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Yes. Okay. Verse 9, and he has said to me, I looked it up in the Greek, and there is a tense issue. Here's what he said. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And that was a, that's within quotes. That's what the Lord had said to him. Okay. Now, here's his uh, application. That most gladly, Paul said, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. So, did what's the strategy and to whom did Paul pray? Right. So he prayed to God and he was content with the answer that he received. Some we can't see behind the scenes. We don't know what God is doing through our trials. But if we assume every trial we're in is an attack of Satan and that we have to somehow find the right way to get out of that situation we may be missing what God is trying to do in our lives. Yes, we don't. We have access to the throne of grace, but we don't have access to the realm of the spirits 
the divine council, that's another issue that, we, that we've talked about. But we know that we have an intercessor, Jesus Christ, the one great high priest, and we have access to him. Okay. Now, view is this. We need to figure out, either through our imagination, allegorized scripture, or some groups have direct revelations they claim. I'm not saying that Priscilla Shearer is saying that. What we need to know is that we have a relationship with God by faith, that Jesus is our high priest. And what is the tactic that Satan has always used, which is to get us to exalt ourselves and therefore be filled with pride and not depend on God and not go to him alone. Wow. And that's really what this book does. Here's what you need to do so that you can thwart the wiles of the devil, as scripture says. Well, let me discuss that. That's what's wrong with so much of this. We're not saying that the realm of the spirits isn't real. We're not rationalists. We're not materialists. We know that the spirit realm is real. We also know that these beings, including Satan, have been in their realm for millennia, and they know their way around it. And if we try to go into that realm and figure out what's going on, we're going to go into something that we have no clue what's going on and we'll get beat up. Exactly. And our circumstances aren't necessarily an indication of spiritual truth. So we can't look at what's going on in our life and, and see what's going beyond behind the scenes in the spirit world. Well, we, that's not an answer. That's how you get deceived. Yes. Okay. In this life, we will have tribulations. Right. So that we know this isn't heaven. Okay. Now, the issue is, can we trust the promise already given that God will keep us, that we are blessed, not because we figured out what Satan was doing, but because we're in Christ? Yes. Okay. If we don't believe that, then we'll go find a shaman to figure out what curse is going on and break it. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying Priscilla Shearer says that. Right. And she doesn't. It comes with the warfare worldview. There's different versions of it. She right. does. But let's get real simple. First, under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, there are principles that still apply, although now we're now under the New Covenant, and it's a different covenant. Okay. Hebrews makes that clear. Now, under the Old Covenant, in, I believe, Jeremiah 17... There's a discussion of blessing and cursing. Yes. So uh, the Lord says, blessed is the person who trusts in me. Right. Okay. What's the alternative? Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Right. So that's very simple. If you're trusting man, human beings, and not trusting God in his self-revelation, which under the new covenant is only through Jesus Christ, 
you're either blessed or cursed. Okay. Now, if you're trusting man, if you're not in Christ, if your sins aren't forgiven, it really doesn't make a big difference whether life is going nicely or whether you have troubles because where you're going is not a good place. Right. Okay. You're cursed even if you have lots of money and very few problems and rarely if ever got sick and all your children are wonderful and you get a great education and you win the lottery, which whatever happens, you're still cursed. Okay. Yeah. It's not hard. Mm -hmm. So how do you know you're blessed? Well, if you're trusting God and under the new covenant, clearly it says that we're blessed in Christ. Yes. Ephesians 1, 3, I believe, is the verse on that. Okay. Well, if you're in Christ and you're blessed and your sins are forgiven, and there's one high priest, we did a whole series on this, priesthood of every believer, mm -hmm. he intercedes for us. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit is interceding in us and through us and for us. God is taking care of us. We bring our prayers to him, and we don't pray against Satan as if Satan is the one we want to li have listened to us. Right. And that's where we really see that warfare view. It, it, it's more like Star Wars and who has more power, the, the, you know, the dark side or the bad guys or the good guys. Yeah, it, it's all one-ism, I think a theologian says. Yeah. Everything is, as the panentheists say, God is in everything. Turns out the dark side and the light side are all the same universe. Right. Okay. Now, there's no darkness in God. He is holy and true and good. So in the New Testament, conversion is described as going from darkness to light. Okay. From the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Yes. Read about in Acts 26, where Paul, before Agrippa II, described what conversion is. Right. You know, Satan to God. So this fine-tuning what it takes to get your prayers answered and creating some pietist version that if you're more fervent and you pray longer and you know specifically what to say and do, and then you'll get your answer, would indicate that you don't understand what it means that God cares for us and he protects us. And even things that we don't want, like Paul's thorn in the flesh, are designed and allowed so that we don't be lifted with pride and fall under the condemnation of the devil. Okay, so, you know, hearing you discuss that, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, Hebrews 4.16 really answers this. It says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. When we are in Christ, we can draw near with confidence and we don't need to know what Satan is doing and we don't have to identify his methods and we don't have to pray against something. We can go straight to God 
and make our needs known. Not that they're secret to him, but that it's our privilege to go before the throne of God and ask for help in time of need and know that he hears us and answers us. That is so true. And we've mentioned that many times that in Christ we're blessed. We have access. The thing that people get wrong is they think they need to hear special, unique revelation back beyond providence, beyond trusting him, that they get some unique, special word from God that says, go do this and don't do that. Okay. And, or we have some revelation, well, there's a certain demon named so-and-so out here doing this and that, or what would I, as this case, if I were Satan, what would I do? That doesn't even help us. Right. What we need to know is what God has said, and God cannot lie. Exactly. Okay. So our imagination doesn't help us. It actually confuses us. Okay. And when I was reading the material here from Paul, who did see the resurrected Lord as is a real apostle, unlike some today who claim to be, but they're not. And in other incidents where we find out, like the book of Job, did Job need to get a revelation of what Satan was trying to do? The readers know what Satan was doing. Right. Job yeah, we got we have the we we have the kind of peek behind the scenes in Job one. Job didn't know, but no. we do. And the writer of Job, one of the first books of the whole Bible written as far as when it was written. Yes. The point isn't, well, Job had to get a revelation of what Satan was doing. Exactly. It, no, we, you can't find that anywhere in the book of Job. No, and that's an amazing book. But in the end, God reveals himself, and it turns out that the speculators were wrong. Right. And we don't know these things unless they're given to us by God in Scripture and we can't imagine and think we're going to end up in a good place by imagining. Okay. So there's so much to, to learn about this. And I would say this. We have to have solid ground. We need to know our sins are forgiven. And the point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to bring us to God to cause us to know that we're forgiven, to give us the gift of eternal life, forgiveness, forgiveness of sins, eternal hope. And we are blessed, and our blessing isn't proven or disproven based on how nicely life is going. Yes. And Job is mentioned, by the way, also in the New Testament, his comforters, we use that with air quotes. Right. But if, well, you must be cursed. It, who has ever suffered being righteous? They said, well, obviously you're not righteous, Job. Look at you. Okay. Now, in a grand sense, you could say, well, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's just God is righteous and never sinned. But even those who have the imputed righteousness of Christ, 
The blood of Jesus cleanses us from the inside out. We have eternal life. Therefore, the trials of life for us are allowed by God's providence for the purpose of bringing us sanctification and bringing us to glory. Yes. In our series that we did last year on true and false spiritual warfare teachings, we talked about the difference between the warfare worldview and the providential worldview. The providential worldview is what we hold, and and that is really summed up for us in, in Romans 8, where all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Bad things happen in our lives. We have troubles. We have trials. You know, Paul had his thorn in the flesh that God was providentially using for his purposes, whereas the warfare worldview is more looking at our circumstances and trying to determine what Satan is doing or what certain demons are doing and how we are going to fight them. Those two views are not compatible. They are not. And many years of teaching this and interacting with people, I think I've seen a consistent pattern of why people are unhappy with Romans 8, not just 28, but all the way to the end of that chapter. Yes. It's only comforting to those who are born of God and believe the promises of eternal life, and they're his. Yes. Now, some people that believe the Bible reject that because they don't think it's fair. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. And if I say to someone, read that, just read it and believe it, and not even what can separate us from the love of God, heights, depths, principalities, so on, or any other created thing. Right. Well, it doesn't say anything about our own will. I said, well, you're, is your, are you and your will or whatever created, or are you eternal, co-eternal with God? Right. Well, they hadn't thought of that. Okay. So, um, dear listeners, those who are watching on YouTube, when it's there, we have to be very serious about the relational aspect of this and not get into the details of trying to figure out what Satan may or may not do if we were Satan. Okay. That's a romanticized idea, but it isn't valid. Now, if you want everything to be rosy for everyone, no matter who they are, you're in the wrong universe. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you believe the promises of God, and that if we trust him alone, and we're in Christ, we're blessed. And furthermore, just think about if the Bible has some secret allegorical meaning that we can't figure out, we don't even know what the promises are. Right. Right. Okay, so we're not too concerned about how long it takes to get through this, as long as people are learning. We're not saying there aren't spirits. We're not saying that they don't cause havoc even throughout the world. Okay? Mm -hmm. Not rationalists, but we're saying that learning the details of Satan and his spirits and what they're doing is going to be a mission that we can try to go on and never get to the end because it's not going to happen that way. What we know is what's revealed. The way to be hopeful and free is to believe in Christ 
and go to God. And we're not honoring God by spending our time um, interacting with Satan or figuring out what he's doing. Right. We, we just need to be in God's word. We need to trust the promises of God. We can come before the throne of grace boldly with, you know, by grace through faith. We have all we need in Christ. We don't need secret information about what Satan's doing. We need to stand firm in what we have. Amen. Right. Amen. There's so much to talk about this, and I look forward to more discussion on this. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to remind you all to stand firm with one mind and one spirit and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. I'm Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.